It's so fantastic to be here with all of you. Thank you so much, Star, for giving me this amazing opportunity to be able to share with all these incredible ladies. And I also just wanted to honor you, my friend. Um, You've pioneered something profound. And Scarlet is just such a small representation, actually, of the bigness of your heart. There's so much inside of you that God has put inside of you that is yet to still come out. And it's just amazing to see glimpses of the bigness and the magnitude of what God's put inside of you in, in this kind of an environment. And it's amazing. We're so thank you, thankful to you for what you have done and pioneered in this particular area. So thank you, my friend. I wonder if you guys could play the video, if it's working. Here's hoping. So I don't know about you, but when I first watched that, I, I was like, whoa, where are they going with this? Those first few brushstrokes kind of are like, what is happening? This seems very random and very strange, and this person looks like he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. But you just see this incredible passion in this artist, how he's just literally what seems like he's just flinging random things all over the place. Oh, that's great. I can see you now. Um, what looks like he's just flinging strange random things all over the, this canvas is actually very, very profoundly and intricately put together. There is such a specific thought process in that artist's mind. It's not a flippant process that he's going through to put that together. There's something profound that is happening and that's being unleashed on that canvas. And that is what God's doing with each of our lives. He is doing something with each of us where it seems like something's not happening. Something is happening. What looks like a mess to us on the surface is actually not a mess at all. There is something profound happening underneath the surface of things as we can see it in our natural eyes. And it's amazing how the moment the picture is turned the right side up, that's where Jesus is revealed. That's where the plan and purpose becomes so specific and so obvious. And then we're like, ah, no ways. And what I loved is that artist is so intricately involved in every aspect of that painting. He's got paint all over him. He's just, I'm in this. I'm all in this. There is no part of me that is not part of this process. And it's just such a beautiful, powerful picture of the creator of the universe and what he does with our lives and how involved he is in each of our lives. Um, Essentially, I would like us to just quickly turn to Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 14. Ironically, Starla used this this morning. I'm sorry for any repeats. It is not my fault. That's God's fault. (laughs) Um, And it just shows that it's something that's really on his heart for today. It just says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It's hugely comforting to know that the creator of the universe has made plans for our lives and that he is absolutely intricately involved in every detail of our lives. The Bible says that he marked out every day for us before it even came to be. That scripture that Starla used from um, Psalm 139 just says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That shows that God is so involved. He's thought through everything with our lives. We are not put together by chance. We are not put together by chance. Our lives have purpose, meaning, and destiny. Um, 
Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And as Stella was saying earlier on about the plans that God has for us, she also alluded to saying that the enemy also has plans of his own. And those plans are to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. And we need to understand that God has plans, the enemy has plans, but God's plans always supersede the enemy's plans. That's the good news. Um, So how many of you would be able to say that you've heard of somebody or even experienced this yourself say, the worst thing ever happened to me, but I wouldn't change it for the world? Like, the end result of that terrible season or that terrible event has ended up leading to an incredibly fruitful, amazing, incredible thing that would never have happened if the bad thing hadn't have happened. That's a perfect example of God working all things to our good. That is what he is skilled at. That is what he is phenomenally good at. He literally turns every single thing that the enemy tries to throw at us for our good. He's working for our good and for his glory. So with this in mind, I'd love to take a look at the life of Joseph and hopefully encourage you in the midst of your season, whatever it may look like, whether it's good or bad, that God has not forgotten you, he has not forsaken you, and he's totally committed to the plan that he has for you. Joseph went through a lot of things in his life, so as I unpack some of those things, um, there's bound to be areas in your life that you would be able to recognize and, and maybe relate to, and I'd love you to take courage in those moments. God is at work in your life in the same ways, even though it may seem to you like he's not. Um, So we're not going to read through the whole of Joseph because it is Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, and we'll be here forever. (laughs) So I'm literally just going to tell you the story and kind of take a couple of points through that and then land it at the end. So the main part of Joseph's story is it begins at, at when he's 17, and he has two dreams. And in those dreams, basically... It's his family bowing down to him. He's standing and they're bowing down to him. So we just see that there's something of a leadership call in his life, that God has destined him to be a leader. God has destined him to be in a position of authority where even his family is going to be bowing down to him. He knows this. He shares this with his brothers. Probably not the most significantly clever thing that he's ever done in his life. Um, And what that does is it leads to his brothers becoming extremely jealous of him. And his father, Joseph's father, has already given him a special cloak and everything and and made out like Joseph is the favorite son. So his brothers are exceptionally jealous of him, and they plot to kill him. So here's Joseph in a family environment that is a little hostile, and he is now literally being put in a scenario where they are plotting to kill him. They end up deciding not to kill him, and they decide to sell him into slavery instead. And The Bible says that his brothers could literally not even speak one kind word to him. Not one. That's a hectic, hectic environment to be growing up in. Um, Anyway, Joseph gets sold into slavery to the Midianites, and then the Midianites sell him on slavery again to a a guy called Potiphar. And he is very high up in Pharaoh's uh, courts. He's one of the main people in the army in Pharaoh's courts, and Pharaoh was the person that was in charge of Egypt at that point in time. And... Joseph basically goes from now being a a shepherd boy 
to a completely new job description that he's never done in his life before. He's now a slave. He's now having to work in somebody's home. He doesn't know this person. He's away from his family. He's away from his friends. He's away from everything that's familiar to him. And he's having to learn a new language, learn a new culture, and he's literally on his own alone. And we can start to look at his life and go, oh my word, where is God in this one? But yet, every single one of these things are steps towards Joseph's fulfilling the greater call that God has for his life. If we start to look at the various things that are happening in Joseph's life on a one-to-one basis, we will start to actually get completely confused by what God is doing. And that's the thing in our lives. There's, so, there's always a bigger picture that God is, is achieving in our lives. And he's using every single thing that is going wrong in our lives towards a greater cause. And he's working everything that the enemy's throwing in to our good. The enemy wanted to bring division in the family. The enemy wanted to kill Joseph. The enemy wanted to bring Joseph into a scenario where he was stuck, where he was not able to fulfill the call of God in his life. The enemy knew that Joseph was going to be a leader of some sort. He's not going to want that to happen. So he's going to do everything to abort that process, everything. But God has other plans, and he works it to Joseph's good. Um, So imagine the potential emotions that Joseph is feeling at this point. Scared, um, hopeless, confused. God, where are you? What is going on? You, You gave me this dream. What's happening? This prophetic word, so to speak. Why am I not seeing that? This scenario, this environment that I'm in, this is not looking anything like what you spoke of in my life. And that's the reality for a lot of us. We probably look at some times in our lives and we go, this is not looking like what God called me to. This is not looking like what what I know God showed me. But actually, there's a plan. There's a plan. There's a plan. Um, And we see that in Potiphar's place, God is with Joseph. There's a scripture that says in Genesis 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. He was blessed. It affected Joseph to such an extent that he was promoted to now being in charge of all of Potiphar's household. And Potiphar trusted him with everything, absolutely everything. There was clearly a leadership call in Joseph's life that Potiphar was seeing in him before Joseph knew. Now, something to say there, if Joseph had never left his family, had never been in that situation where he was forced to leave his family, he would not have ever stepped into the leadership position that he had because he was in an environment that was full of jealousy, full of um, hatred. How many of you know that if you're in that kind of environment, you're not exactly, those people aren't going to be looking for the good in you. They're looking for the bad in you. So you are going to never flourish in that environment. So God had to remove him from his family and had to put him in a situation where he could grow and develop and mature and come into the fullness of what God had for him in a different environment with all the things that were needed to make him who he needed to be. The discomfort, the frustration, the confined space. So we just see him start to grow in his natural leadership gift. And then he comes into a place of temptation, like Stala was saying earlier on in her preach. Part of his wife decides that she really likes Joseph and starts to literally goad him every single day. And it's horrendous because he's now having to deal with this lady that is after him every single day. And yet every day he makes a choice and a decision. I am not going to give in to this. I'm a man of integrity. I'm a son of God, and I'm not going to give in to this. And he chooses. He even just says, I, I can't do this. I can't be with you. It would be the worst thing because I would be sinning against God. 
I would be offending God and hurting God if I actually did anything with you. So you can just see his heart is, is pure. His heart is a heart of integrity, and God is testing him, like Stala was saying, testing him, bringing him into a place where he's, he's have, his faithfulness is having to be tested, his integrity is having to be tested. And this is all essential for him to lead a nation that he's going to be leading later on that he's not aware of. It's essential. All these moments are, are, are helping build him towards the leader that God's called him to be. Anyway, she ends up saying that he's tried to sleep with her, which he never did, and so her husband puts Joseph in jail. Now, he's done the right thing, and the right thing got him in jail. How many of you have felt like in your life, you've done something right, you actually stood up for the right thing, and now you're in trouble? Everything was fine before you did the right thing. (laughs) Exactly, there we go. Um, And same for Joseph. And now, how many of you know, if you're going to come into leadership in a nation, and leading a nation, you need to have a good reputation. (laughs) And Joseph is now, his reputation is ruined. He's now being accused of sleeping with someone, and he's now stuck in a prison, and I'm sure he's going, um, I actually don't know how this has got anything to do with what God has called me to, going, um, so God, yeah, sorry about the plan. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure that you know what you're doing. I'm starting to get a little concerned, and this is starting to get a little frustrating. And we actually see, um, but, but Joseph also, it says that God is with Joseph, Again, God is with him the whole way. God is with us at every season, every point of our lives. That's, that's the point that God's trying to make through the story. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Seems like I'm not, but I'm with you. And then Joseph is put in charge of everything in the prison. Guess what? Again, that leadership call is on his life. And each moment is just going from one step to the next, developing him into the greater call of what God has for him. And then an interesting scenario happens where the cupbearer and the baker for the king ends up offending Pharaoh, and he puts him in prison. And guess who gets put in charge of them? Joseph. So we now have a very interesting scenario in the story because there's two people that are exceptionally close to Pharaoh who know all the inner workings of the country, of the nation, and how Pharaoh's mind works. And Joseph has now got access to those very people. The person that he's going to be working for, that he doesn't even realize he's going to be working for, he now has got direct access into the inner workings of that person's mind through these two people that are now in prison with him. They've got nowhere to go, and he's got lots of time. So it's amazing. Like Now it's actually a prime opportunity for him to start to understand this nation that he's going to be leading, that he doesn't even realize he's going to be leading. And God's doing all these things behind the scenes, and we're not even aware of it. And we just see that... The, the cupbearer and the baker end up having dreams, and they can't understand them. Cue Joseph. Yay, his moment in time has come. This is something I can do. And he helps them. He interprets what happens, and he interprets correctly. But there's a point in the story here where Joseph literally um, starts to moan. Up to this point, he's, been in, he's full of integrity. He has be, you can just see God's favor with him the whole time. But he says... To the cupbearer, I was forcibly carried off from my homeland. I did nothing wrong, and I don't d- deserve to be in this dungeon. So that s- sounds like he's feeling a bit sorry for himself now and trying to make people feel bad about the situation that he's in. And he says this request to the cupbearer, Remember me. So I helped you. You helped me. Um, show me kindness. So it's the one thing that his brothers never showed him. There was a scripture that said they didn't know how to show him kindness. Show me kindness. So he's not content to rest in the kindness that God has shown him. 
He's looking for kindness from people. And then he says, mention me to Pharaoh. So he's trying to make a plan. Joseph's trying to make a plan to get out of prison. And God has to go, sorry, my son. I need you to stay in that prison because that prison, I'm preparing you in that prison. I need you to stay there for the sake of the nation that you're about to lead. If you leave that prison prematurely, you are not going to step into the fullness of what I've called you to. And a nation needs you to stay where you are because I'm doing stuff in you. I'm doing stuff in your character. I'm building stuff into you that I cannot do if you're not sitting in that prison right now. And I'm turning it to your good. The enemy's wanting to do something bad out of this, but I'm turning it to your good. And it's just amazing how God will do everything to to make sure that his plans come to pass for our lives because he's that committed to our lives and he's that committed to the future of a nation that's about to come. So, interestingly, the cupbearer forgets Joseph. How do you forget the person who has just told you that you are not going to die and he accurately told you that? God's got a great way of making people forget if he needs to, but he will make sure that his purposes come about. Um, And then we see... Um, Oh, I just want to say this analogy. There's a butterfly analogy. With a butterfly, if you help a butterfly out of a cocoon before it's ready, you will actually destroy the butterfly from being able to fly, from being able to do the very thing it was destined to do. The cocoon, the confined space, is necessary for the butterfly to develop its wings to be able to fly. If it doesn't have that confined space and doesn't have something to push against, it cannot learn how to fly. It literally cannot do what it's been designed to do. So we have to go through these trials, these temptations, these things that Star was talking about earlier on this morning to be able to develop who God has called us to be. And essentially, at the end of the story happens, Joseph ends up having to interpret a dream for Pharaoh, and he interprets it accurately, and he says that there's going to be seven years of, of abundance and seven years of famine. And then exactly what happened, happened. Exactly what he said happened. And Joseph was put in place in power because he, he had been given by God, the inroads into what was going to be happening. And Pharaoh was like, God is so on you. You have to be the person to lead us through this. You know that God, God's got you in this place right now for, this, for such a time as this. And so Joseph goes from having been in a prison and having been in a confined space and, and his life meaning nothing to some overnight, instantaneously, everything changing. In God's perfect timing, everything changed. And Joseph takes a nation through one of the worst droughts in history. And not just that nation, but many nations. He is a profound catalyst for massive, massive change. And what what the enemy intended for evil, God intended for good. And Joseph needed to be in that place to be able to step into um, into the fullness of what God had for him. So in hindsight, Joseph was a prisoner of a prophetic promise more than he was a prisoner of Egypt. A prophetic promise always has a specific process attached to it that eventually leads us to our promotion and the fulfillment of what was promised. And Joseph's Egyptian prison was a means to grow him into the nation deliverer that God had destined him to be all along. God was using betrayal, slavery, imprisonment to train and maneuver a young prophetic leader into an influential position with direct access to the throne of Egypt. In hindsight, we can see the very obvious hand of God on Joseph's life, orchestrating everything along the way. Divine coincidences, turning evil into good, each trial building perseverance and character and stamina along the way, and setting him up to be successful for everything he eventually stepped into in God's perfect time. 
And just like the artist in the video we saw at the beginning, Joseph must have looked at his lot in life and wondered what any of it had to do with the dreams that he had been given. But as we saw in his life, God knew the plans that he had for him, plans to prosper him, and not just him, his family and a nation, to give him hope instead of despair and brokenness and a future for him, his family, and the nation, even though at the time it didn't look like the case. The same applies for you. God will orchestrate and artistically create beauty out of ashes, hope out of despair, a future for you, your family, and your nation, with everyone prospering incredibly and in abundance. God's plans are always for your good. And I really believe that some of us need to be asking God to give us new eyes for our situation and new lenses um, so that we can embrace the process rather than fight it. Your current enemies, obstacles, challenges, frustrations are fashioning you into the person that God has planned for you to be. Um, And this is the great adventure of life with the King of all kings, the greatest love relationship that we could ever enter into. And what he has planned and promised for your life, he will do. Don't look to your present circumstances and be discouraged. Look to him alone. Surrender your need to have control, to have all the answers, and to know why things are or aren't happening. And trust him for the breakthrough and for his perfect timing because he's sovereign over us and he's more powerful than anything that the enemy can throw at us. And I just for a moment want to, just in closing, speak to the single ladies this morning. Um, Married ladies, you are going to be wonderfully blessed by Anna in the next session. Um, But for this moment, I would really love it if the married ladies could honor the single ladies, and if the single ladies could please stand. And I would love you to keep standing because I want to be able to look at you guys for this part. This is, this is something I really, really feel like I need to say. Um, ladies, being single is not a disease. It's not a disease. It's a privilege if you embrace it for the full amount of time that God asks it of you. Joseph was single for 30 years, but those 30 years were vital for his growth, his maturity, and his preparation for the call of God on his life. He was released into his call before he got married. Pharaoh asked him to come into that position before he got married. Pharaoh only gave him a wife once he was put into his new position. Marriage did not qualify him to lead the nation of Egypt. Mary was chosen by God to carry Jesus before she was married. Marriage didn't qualify her to be used by God. I need you to hear that, and I need it to sink into your hearts. Because I know we hear it and we believe it in our heads, but we don't believe it in our hearts. We do not need to be married to be who God has called us to be. Single ladies... Please do not believe the lie that the enemy and society is telling you that you need to be married before you can count for God. I know the realities that some of you have faced of feeling insignificant, lonely, the spare wheel with some of your married friends, feeling like an outcast, feeling like less of a human because you don't have a husband on your life and a baby in your arms. Marriage and children do not make you any more of a woman than you already are. And they do not qualify you to minister and count for God in his kingdom. 
The fact that you are a daughter of God is what qualifies you. God alone knows the plans that he has for our lives. Yeah, amen. We don't know the plans that he has for our lives. He knows how many days we are meant to be alive for. We don't. You could die tomorrow and not have accomplished what you were destined to accomplish because you sat around waiting for a man or a child to validate you. The enemy will do anything to stop you doing what God has called you to and by getting us to believe a lie that we need to be married first to count in the kingdom. It's not true. You will get married one day. You are being prepared for marriage to Jesus for all eternity, first and foremost. He is your greatest prize and your ultimate husband, regardless of whether you get married or not on this earth. This life is so short. It's just not worth it to waste your life waiting for something that you may never get in this lifetime. It's not promised. Marriage is not promised to us on this earth. Yes, I do believe it is God's will for us to be married, absolutely, but it's not promised to us. We need to live with eternity in mind and the ultimate marriage in mind. Um, As a fellow sister in Christ, I implore you to live life to the full. Don't allow yourself to believe that you are less valuable, needed, and capable because you don't have a husband. Mary was pregnant with the life of God and with Jesus before she was married. She was joined with God before she was joined with a man. I'm living proof that it is possible to live a full kingdom life without having a husband and children. And I genuinely don't feel like I'm missing out on life by not having them. Genuinely don't. I'm 36 years old. Yes, you can all breathe out. And flourishing. I cannot afford the luxury of waiting around for a day that may never arrive this side of eternity. There are lives that need to be changed. There are nations that need to be reached for Jesus. And I know that marriage can help that happen, but so can singleness. (laughs) Thank you. I am not defined by what I do or by what society tells me I should do. Marriage, having children, being a singer, being a worship leader, whoop de doo it does not define me. What defines me is the fact that I'm a daughter of the Most High God. That is what defines me. And that I'm deeply loved and cherished by Him. And so are each one of you beautiful, precious, single, for this season, ladies. I made a decision from a young age to get on with building God's kingdom as my first priority and to allow Him to take care of me and provide for me as my father. I refuse to wait for a husband to qualify me to lead, to preach, or to count for God. As amazing and profound as marriage is, it is not my goal in life. Loving God, loving his people, and building his kingdom is my goal. My advice and exhortation to those of you who are single is this. Don't wait for your husband before you start to count for God. Get on with building God's kingdom and being who God has called you to be, and the rest will be added in God's perfect time. You're amazing, and I love you, and I'm proud of you, and don't give up. I love you.